Angela. And I'm Aubrey. And we're, we're the, the Double Clicks. And you are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. What a good idea. Great job. I've been lucky to, you know, like, not just know, but to be totally honest with you, like actually be inspired by a lot of younger bands and musicians. And then, you know, talking to them, like learning about their worldview, how they see things, how they see things differently from me, but that, but in ways that I think are positive. I would say the, the kids are all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. Same as Twitter, at the GBB Podcast, and any podcast catcher app that you can find. We are there. How are you doing this week, Jamie? I'm doing excellently. How are you doing, Justin? Excellent. You know, any week that we can do an interview with a punk rocker who likes Lord of the Rings, that's yeah. you know that, that's a golden week for me. I wonder, I wonder what the Venn diagram of that looks like. You know, you got like punk rockers on one side and then Tolkien geeks on the right. other side. Like, aside from Ted Leo, like, I wonder who else is going to be there in the middle. Well, there then there's people like my mom who want to watch it. And then we get like halfway through the Fellowship of the Ring and she looks at me like at the disc change. What, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> she has no idea what's going on. Like she wants, she wants to like it so bad, but she has no idea what's going on. So it's probably those That's... people. <laughs> that's funny that's funny yeah. so now my mom is like one of the diehard fans like she's right she, she's one of those people who when they do like the uh the movie marathons and they show all three of them in the theater and it's like 12 hours back to back like she'll sit there for that she's she's watched the movies more times than she can probably count nice um but uh, yeah, I mean, her history with it goes all the way. I mean, all the way back to when she was a kid. Right. Like, she was reading and, the book. And I'm I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan as well. And not, movie this or is a little going off topic. Movies but, or books? Uh, both, both. I like both a lot. I read the books first when I was in elementary school, and I grew up in a religious house, so I didn't know how my parents would take me reading like a book about wizards and things like that. I don't know. This sounds really funny, but I was like scared to tell right. them I was reading it. <laughs> I'll never forget. Sure. I was like, that's that's like the baddest thing I did was a kid sneaking my copy of Fellowship of the Ring home from the library and reading it in secret in my room. And, <laughs> and if that's the worst thing you do as a kid, I think you're all right. <laughs> you're right. And we actually, for our anniversary one year, I got Sarah's a big fan as well. We we purchased a commission piece of art. Uh, it's by a guy named <laughs> named Swamp Bear. Funny enough. He's a he's an international award winning chainsaw carving, oh, nice. uh, chainsaw carving artist, and he uh, he actually I'll, we should I'll give you this picture, Jamie. You can post it. Um, he carved us a uh, it's like a, a hanging that goes on the wall of the tree of Gondor, and his international award he just That's won awesome. last month. He went to Germany to compete, and they did a tree an ent. 
and it's beautiful. I'll have to send you the picture of it. And he won. He won for that as well. So he's a bit. Yeah. So Lord of the Rings. Woohoo! And punk rock. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So if anybody, if you found, if you're listening to this through some podcast app or whatever, and you did not come through Geek Dad, go scope out the uh, the post on Geek Dad um, right. where we where we posted the audio for this, and you'll see the the uh, the picture of Justin's Tree of Gondor. <laughs> Perfect. So Jamie, you interviewed Ted Leo this week. Yes. Yeah. So Ted, um, for those of you who don't know, Ted has a history. Uh, goes back quite a ways um in punk rock and uh, his latest album he went to kickstarter for it so uh we talked a bit about why kickstarter and the troubles he was having with his his label and uh um you know it, it is crowdfunding a sustainable model for musicians where's the music industry going um we we cover a bit of ground i have to admit um Ted, ted's been in a in a number of bands over the years and um, when I was in high school, this is going to date me so you know exactly how old I am. But when I was in high school, Chisel, um, one of his bands, was um, one of my... They only had, I think, two albums, but they... they Like, I just loved them. And uh, 8 A.M. All Day, which is one of their albums, is, is one of those albums that... You know how you like you listen to something and it instantly transports you back to, like, wherever you were mm-hmm. when you... Like, that was it. Like, that was big or you first heard yep. it. Like... I listened to that album and it just, it just brings me back to high school. It's one of, it's one of those albums. Um, Nice. So yeah, it's awesome. And uh, it's one of the bands that he's been in that really doesn't get the recognition. I think that it deserves. Um, So we talk a bit about that and yeah, I mean, the reason we're talking, we talked, we opened up with Lord of the Rings and Tolkien is because he's a, he's a Tolkien geek and uh, he's, he's super into the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion specifically, which is interesting to me because that's not one of the books um that most people mm-hmm. not one that most people have read but even um Tolkien fans it's not one that's a favorite my my best friend in in college my roommate in college it was his his favorite book too like he read the Silmarillion again and again and again and it was the mythology of that book that really lured him in but uh it's not the adventurous epic that you know Lord of the Rings is or just like the fun story that the Hobbit is um mm-hmm. But yeah, so we talk a bit, bit about that, and um, Ted is also in a band right now with Amy Mann, uh, the called the Both, and it's the two of them, um, and it, it's it's very if you only know Ted from you know punk, or or his solo stuff, uh, it, it's you you might not even recognize the music, but it's uh, it's really good stuff, and uh, they were both on the Joko Cruise this year. And uh, they had a concert, uh, the two of them together as the both. And uh, we talk a bit about that because there was one, the, the last song that they did, um, which has become affectionately known as the trolling of Ted Leo. Um, it's basically, uh, it, they everybody comes out and it, this was like the crowd to do it in front of because it was just a, a crowd of nerds. Uh, and uh, Ted, I guess, is notorious for being a stickler for facts. So um, they 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 just went overboard with doing everything wrong. So they they combined all of the uh, all the geek things. So it's like they put Spock in the Lord of the Rings, and the, the, so they they did this. The song was called The Shire, uh, and they basically they just got everything wrong, and they come they mashed everything together, all the different franchises and stories, and it was it was like watching Ted slowly melt down on stage, and it was until he finally exploded. <laughs> Um, and there's act there's a video of this too. Um, 
I think actually I got part of the video. I'll, I'll link to the video so you can watch it, but it, it's well worth your what, 10 minutes or whatever it took for the whole thing to get out. But it's definitely <laughs> worth it. So go watch that. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to watch that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun. And that concert, the, the both, they called it the both after dark. That concert was, um, I've probably said this about a number of things about being the highlight of the week, but that mm-hmm. was, it was, I think because I went in there without really a lot of expectation, it was just like, oh, I like Amy Mann, you know, I, I like Ted Ted Leo, and I'm just gonna, you know, just enjoy the music. But it was a real; they did a really, really good show. Um, and if either uh, Amy is out touring right now for her new album, um, and I'm sure Ted once once his new album comes out, he's gonna do some dates. But if you ever get a chance to see either one of them solo or together as the both, I highly, highly recommend it. They 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 put on good shows. Awesome. So we're going to go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Ted, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. This is It's, it's awesome to have you here. Um, I wanted to start off by talking about probably what's the obvious. Um, you took your first, your latest album, you went to Kickstarter. Um, and I'm just wondering what led to that decision. Why go to Kickstarter for this album? It took me a long time to get my head around the idea that a, a crowdfunded route might be the way to go for me. Um, I, I think I, I was still a little emotionally bruised from, you know, <laughs> the early days yeah. of crowdfunding when it seemed like an acquiescence to, <laughs> um, to the fact that uh, people just decided that everything should be free and stopped buying yeah. records, you know? Yeah. And especially for someone, especially for someone like me who, um, has really like built whatever semblance of career I have on trying to be very generous and in a, in a very like sort of old school punk rock, mm-hmm. um, model of, um, you know, people, people first actually. And, uh, so, you know, being caught up in that, I, there was a point, um, in the later part of the last decade when I was actually selling a decent amount of records and after, you know, um, after it having been 20 years of, of pushing, you know, to get to that point, um, it felt, you know, there was a little bit of pride in, in a, in just rewards happening, you know? So when the rug got pulled out, um, the idea of crowdfunding felt, not great to me because I think I was trained to see it as uh, hat in hand, mm. you know, like a like a busking kind of yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And um, uh, what the people at Kickstarter, you know, when they approached me, what they what they helped me see, and I think that what they have actually, I think that they've been struggling to come out from under that image in the music realm themselves i don't think it i think in other realms where kickstarter is actually even more successful in tech products and things like that um it's never really been an issue you know but um, but in the music world the model you know the what we would now call the old model um you can rail against major labels and their insistence on bottom line and manipulation of, of culture all you want and i certainly do mm-hmm. and and you know and probably will continue to um but you know in the cottage industry of the of the underground um we were essentially using the same model which is just a simple exchange of you know yeah. 
a simple exchange of uh, currency for for uh, a product, you know. Um, what Kickstarter helped me understand is that it's not necessarily like a hat in hand thing. I mean, in some ways, you know, when you work with a label, there's a pooled risk aspect mm -hmm. to it that essentially all Kickstarter does is remove it. You know, it's like either your thing gets funded or it doesn't. If right. it does, it's funded. And then, you know, like, and then you make it and, um, and you give it to the people who, who gave you money for it. It's really in a lot of ways, just like a very direct sale. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, and it's even more direct. And, mm -hmm. uh, I started getting really excited about it. Once I started to understand it like <laughs> that, I started seeing it as, you know, not only an alternative, for me because things were going so south with me in the realm of, of uh, the label that I was working with, but also kind of an exciting challenge, you know, an exciting way to step forward and try something new. And, um, and I'll tell you, uh, forgive me if I'm going on too long, but, um, I'll tell you that the, the, the day that it, the first day that I put it up, it funded in the first day yeah. and at about four, I, I, it went live at around 9am and around 4pm when it, it, when every indication was it was going to fund in the next hour or two. Yeah. Uh, I remember specifically I was walking from my, the room where my computer and my like, little studio zone is to the bathroom and I was, as I was walking across the floor, all of a sudden, like I, this, like weight that I did not know I was carrying, <laughs> and I, and I therefore don't know how long I, I've been carrying it, you know, just lifted off and dissipated, yeah. and I was like, oh my god, you know what? Like, all I have to do now is be creative. I can exactly. actually just like be an artist for once in my life. Because the other thing is that. And I think there's an element of this that's good. There's also an element of it that it goes under the category of what I would call punk damage, you know, is, uh, is similar to like a Catholic guilt kind of thing. Is, right. is um, that uh, when you're working with a third party who is pooling risk with you, you know, you're concerned, or at least I'm concerned, that they're getting something that they want, that they're getting something that they can sell that, that what you give them to sell is not going to drag them down, you know, that it's going to be mutually beneficial. Yeah. And having that element removed from the process meant it literally now is just between me and all of these people who, who have pledged mm -hmm. that they believe in what I'm doing and are excited to hear the next thing. And that was like the greatest, like yeah. the greatest 30 seconds of my life. I walked across <laughs> the floor. Yeah. <you> know? <laughs> And then the pressure of, of having to deliver descended. Is that what happened after that 30 seconds? Well, you know, to be totally honest with you, that pressure, um, I have not really felt that yet. Yeah. I mean, I've been working on this record all along at, at home, like at, at a really, been working on it really hard because mm -hmm. I've been, I've been building a studio and, you know, learning the whole process of engineering and recording and et cetera, like while I've been writing this and uh demoing and tracking and mixing and demoing and tracking and you know, mm -hmm. redoing and etc um but by the time i started the kickstarter a lot of the music was already 
right. done. Yeah. And what and so actually in terms of actually making it, ha- having that freedom actually, to be totally honest with you, I, at this point I'm actually more excited about the things that I've added to the mix of songs since the Kickstarter than the 25 songs that were in existence yeah. before it. The because, ones that are um, genuinely new songs for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because to me, they feel they feel more untethered from my own expectations and worries. Like they mm-hmm. actually really feel like like a more yeah. um, true expression of things that I've been wanting to express. And and you know, the logistical stuff of actually getting it fulfilled is is well underway. And I, the good thing about it funding the way that it has is that I've been able to. Uh, I've been able to lean on people that I've worked with in the past and get recommendations from other people and, you know, find the best partners, uh, on the production end of things to help me set it in motion. Yeah. I mean, that's phenomenal that it funded in the first day. Not that doesn't happen to everybody. So, you know, congratulations for that. But I mean, for somebody who has been in the industry for as long as you have and coming from that old model, was it eye opening at all to see that how relatively few people you really need to support your work to get that album out there? I mean, especially when you compare it to that the business model of the big studios over the past few decades and, you know, the, the multi-million dollar deals and they, they wouldn't take risks on little guys because the audience wasn't big enough. But then, you know, you can go right. to Kickstarter and get kind of a small number of people to really support you and you can get your album out there. It's true, but I would hesitate to make a one-to-one comparison because, you know, the thing about doing a, you know, any kind of crowdfunded thing like this is that you you know you do offer different tiers and um they're often each tier is often has a valuation that um is more than what like for example i had i think it i don't remember the exact number but it was about 3500 uh backers Mm -hmm. to my campaign now 3500 backers in a in a 999 to whatever you know 1299 normal retail setting uh, would be a, a fine showing, you know, and, and it, and it might very well go a a lot of the way toward sending a record at at least to, to breaking even. Mm -hmm. Um, but to really propelling it to full financing and allowing me to take some of the more creative steps that I want to do in terms of packaging and this and that, like Mm -hmm. that could not have happened if people hadn't pledged, you know, at a higher rate than just the 999 yeah. retail level purchase. And so in that so uh, you know one thing about that is that it was wildly encouraging how much people actually care and how much they want to help you do yeah. the, your thing, you know, and they want to give you more money if 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 you're allowing them to. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um that's wildly encouraging. And I think that I don't see why that model honestly couldn't be applied in some ways to a normal situation. Labels are more, are more and more relying on pre-sale promotions, you know, with different types of packages and stuff that you can get to ensure that they do wind up, you know, at least like breaking even on, a, on mm-hmm. the things that they put out. Um, you know, I don't see why you couldn't, you know, if, if you've actually spent some time building a, a fan base that actually cares about what you do, I don't see why you you couldn't continue to work with this model. Um, you know, you don't want to, like, always be tapping everybody to... Yeah. All right, I was going to ask, know, do, like, do you think that it's a sustainable model for musicians? Um, 
I do. I think that um, I think that one has to manage probably one's expectations and and one's asks. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you continue to do it this way, like, you know, having funded this one um, in a in a in a, a really um, like wi- wildest dreams kind of way for me. Right. Um, if I was to go this route again, uh, I would probably scale it back. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would, uh, to the extent that like, I, I would treat it more like a pre-sale. I would, I would say like, you know, we just need this amount to make this happen right. because I want to get it to you. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want people to be, have to feel like I'm always asking them to pony up at these higher levels of stuff. Right. Right. I mean, you know, that said again, like you do, it's not like you're not offering extra stuff for those higher levels, but I could see how one would be a consumer, a fan could get fatigued by that. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm going to be listening to people, I think, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of the next year or two as I'm out on a cycle with this album and I'll see what, I'll see what they think about it. Yeah. Because it's this, at this point, what I do next is is less about me than it is about them, I think, because I know like I know what I'm capable of doing and I know what like, you know, what my numbers to achieve that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll be I'll be asking people, you know, I mean, if people are like, no, I would love to pay X amount of dollars for that for a whole giant, you know, jumble of. Yeah stuff again you know then then yeah sure maybe i'll do that because it's fun to yeah. do for, for me too yeah it's fun to it's actually fun to put that stuff together you know, so. i mean i know from a like a fan's perspective or the consumer perspective that it is i like the options you know and i like being if i if i just want the album or if i just want the book or whatever it is you know i can do that but if i want to you know chip in a little bit more for something special that might not have been otherwise available then i like that option um, right, right. But when I think about it from the artist's perspective, you know, it seems that not only are you responsible for the music or the writing or whatever it is that you're that you're offering, but when you do the crowdfunding and you go Kickstarter, you're also suddenly it's your responsibility to make the business decisions, to do the marketing, to handle the distribution, you know, things mm-hmm. that a publisher or a label would probably have handled for you. I mean, is that is that an an acceptable onus to put on young musicians maybe who just want to do their music that entirely depends on the musician yeah um you know i i'll i think that um i would not necessarily recommend like i don't think a kickstarter is a way to build an audience right you know i think it's a way to marshal an an audience um you know it it's I think that if you really, I mean, look, people do build audiences online. People build audiences in very different ways than I built an audience. People build audiences by having people share a song that they randomly heard on, you know, MySpace still, I think sometimes, or, you know, SoundCloud, (laughs) um, you know, whatever. Uh, And, um, and it gets, you know, it gets spread around uh, in ways that like, for example, tape trading through the mail you know would not, i remember would not that have been able, yeah i <laughs> would not have been able to facilitate you know that might get you 10 fans in brazil but yeah. like 10 you know 10 fans aren't, aren't going to get you over there for a tour or something you know <laughs> um but uh you know i mean take like the speaking of myspace like the last thing time i heard that work was like if you take the arctic monkeys 
mm-hmm. you know, they got big from fans just sharing their stuff yeah. on, on MySpace. And then, then they were able to, you know, parlay that into touring and which, you know, and albums and et cetera. Um, but, but what you're doing with a, with a crowdfunding thing is you're, you're essentially appealing to people who are, who are looking for your product to a, to a certain degree already. So yeah. you're, you're really just talking to your core audience as it exists for the most part. Um, and I think that, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, if your core audience is, is smaller, that you can't still gain something from it. And then you get out on the road and you tour and you do it in combination with all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it can be very, very useful. Um, but I would not throw out the, the, um, uh, the idea of having an infrastructure of, um, right you know, somebody who's going to, who's going to help you with that other, yeah, all that other, uh, minutiae. Your, Kickstar- your Kickstarter can't be your first stop. It can't Probably be the first not. thing you do. Yeah. But Probably I mean, I mean if, if you're an incredibly self actualized, you know, <laughs> self-aware person and you're like, no, I, you know, I read up on this. I've talked to people like, I'm going to take it head on. I'm going to do my own promo. I'm going to do my own, you know, this and that. It's not that it can't be done. It's been done in the past and it can be, it can yeah. be done again. Um, I, you know, I'll tell you for me, like, Another thing about this mine, you know, funding as well as it did is that I actually, I actually was able to hire uh, press. Oh wow! Okay. Which has not, you know, like it hasn't gone into effect yet. But um, you know, my hope is that I'm also going to once the Kickstarter is fulfilled, I'll, I'll put the album out for retail as well. And sure. so, I, you know, I will want, I will want some press hopefully to talk about that. But yeah. um. You know, it, it's it's funny because I have been like I've been someone who's done so much of all of this stuff myself in the past, and it's it's I you know I know what it takes. I know that I could do it again mm-hmm. if I had to, but I also am you know pretty old as far as, <laughs> as far as people i mean i have been doing this for, for like literally 30 years now yeah. and um and it's very it's very nice to be able to uh have it fall into your lap yeah as something that sure. you are completely in control of but then also know that you can delegate yeah you know <laughs> it's a nice position to be in i'd imagine it's a great position to be in and i'll, I'll tell you something else too like learning learning about delegating is something that it took me forever to do. I mean, you know, it's like if I'd have done this, if I'd have done this whole process, even five years ago, yeah, I might not have thought to myself, you know what, let me talk to some of those nice people I've met over the years in yeah. you know, various press places and see how they feel about working with me on yeah. this. I would have been, you know, I would have been all in on just barreling forward. Yeah. It's not very punk own. rock to, de- to delegate and find the best right. way to do things. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, I mean, it's, it's exactly, it's not, but, um, you know, that's another thing. Like, you know, d- there are diminishing returns to continuing to just hammer. Yeah. Every, you know, seeing everything like a nail to be hammered. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you talked about, you know, sharing songs and the power of the internet and, you know, how, you know, you hear these stories of bands that just suddenly make it big because somebody, one person hears their song and then it just catches on. Do you think that, um, like young musicians who are just starting out today, do you think that they rely too much on the internet to sort of grant them this instant success? 
Boy, I don't know that I can say. I mean, I've encountered people who the answer would most certainly be yes, but I've encountered far more for whom the answer would be no. Oh, that's you know? good, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, like, you're always rubbing up against people who think that the world owes them, you know, everything. And then I've been lucky to, you know, like, not just know, but to be totally honest with you, like, actually be inspired by a lot of younger bands and musicians who... Like I've over the years, like, you know, taken on tour even because I heard, you know, a record of theirs and I was like, we should take this band out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, talking to them, like learning about their worldview, how they see things, how they see things differently for me, but that, but in ways that I think are positive. Um, uh, I would say the, the kids are all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 As technology has evolved and, you know, you, you, it's, it's, you've got your hand in both worlds, you know, the old world that you were familiar with and the new world and the young, the younger musicians, has your own process for songwriting and playing, has it, has that changed over the years or do you still pretty much do the same thing? Well, I would say that I do the same thing, but that's only because I don't really think I've ever had one yeah. particular process. You know, songwriting for me has always been however it happens i i you know i catalog 5 a.m voice memos i i dream i dream music a lot yeah which is the, the truth i actually really do and um and if i if i have half of my mind present i roll over and i hum it into a voice memo and, oh wow I, I'm sometimes I'm able to actually <laughs> remember like where I you know actually make out a melody from it and remember what I was thinking and, and uh, that's remarkable create something from it um other times it's it's a it's a total bolt of lightning and something will go from initial idea of a riff to completed recorded mixed song like in the course of a day mm -hmm. and then other times you know I'll have something that I really want to finish but just can't finish it and it'll be in the back of my mind or, or you know sometimes worked on sometimes forgotten about for years mm. you know until until you know either you catch up with it or it catches up with you and does that happen a lot um a lot i mean <laughs> relatively speaking if you want to look at the the pie chart of my entire body of work mm -hmm. i would say i would say that when someone says like you know when you're offering them do you want some pie and they say just a small just a little slice <laughs> just a little slice i would say that then you 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 think that you're going to give them a little slice and yeah. then but then because you're like oh, i'm going to give them a little bit of a bigger slice than yeah that. so you give them, that's the size of the slice of right. the uh of the fair <laughs> enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> um is, I mean, as long as we're talking, you know, sort of big picture here, this could be putting you on the spot. But like, what do you think from your perspective as somebody who's in the industry? What's where, where's the music industry going? Like, what's the future? Mm. Well, I, I think there are a lot of different, I think there are a lot of different futures. I mean, I think that uh, something that I'm glad about in terms of where I'm at is that. There's a there's a place out there. There's an audience for me. There's a there's a place out there for me to do what I want to do at this point in my life, which is 
not just be in a punk rock band that hammers at, at the touring circuit and you know releases records and whatnot but also like does these collect these you know longer term collaborations like what i've been doing with any man mm-hmm. where we we have our band we also play with each other in different contexts we we have been you know over the years have been doing a lot more like variety shows with our comedian friends and, mm-hmm. and just just thinking about how how we exist as artists and performers and even like entertainers you know and what is fun and fulfilling to us and rolling the dice on the fact that that it's it's going to resonate with our audiences as well and and so far it seems to it seems to we both seem to i think have have experienced like a growth from where we were at a number of years ago uh personally but also in terms of um our audience and uh that's a nice path as you're sort of entering into i'm an older artist who wants to keep doing this probably until i die you know that's a nice path to see yourself on so that that that's where i hope my future continues um you know there are so many other streams there are still you know young bands slugging it out on the road in the indie world looking for some modicum of indie success there are still crust punk bands who don't care about you at all you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> who are just going to be doing their thing yeah. and um and uh i mean they care very deeply about you that's why they make the music they make but they don't care if you care about them right <laughs> um uh and then there and then you know then there's everybody who's gonna watch the voice and uh, american idol and <laughs> think that that's that's the route to go you know and uh, you know that's the thing is it's it's so has it ever been you know it's always been that way you know um the the 60s were no different you know mike nesmith always bucked against being in uh what was essentially the boy band of the of the day the monkeys because he wanted to be a somebody who wrote his own songs and wasn't just known for being a cute guy on tv but the boy band existed you know and and uh and so did the underground scuzzy bands that nobody ever hears about you know it's it's always it's always been this way you know there's just a lot more of it now i think yeah so the you know collaborations and and working you know you mentioned amy man but you you, you're no stranger to collaborations i mean that's something that you welcome because not 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 every artist does uh i do welcome it i mean i've never collaborated in the in the way that amy and i do Mm -hmm. like i've never actually sat down and like you know wrote songs with someone where the uh, both you know the the dna of the song is truly 50 50 comes from comes from the both of us you know um uh and you know i'm not uh i mean i i I still i still love that particular project so much that i'm not sure i'd want to do it to that depth with anybody else Mm. um uh but I, but I do love, I do love, like, I love joining in with other people. I love having other people join in with me. Um, that's been one of the fun things about this record is that I made it mostly alone. But I've been, you know, because uh, almost because it's, it's, it was not made in a sort of classic band context. I did have like freedom to say like, Hey, what if I just called this person and ask them to throw a right. vocal on here right. or there, you know? And, and uh, I think it makes for, uh, I wouldn't, 
you know, again, I wouldn't say that this as a rule, but I think for this particular group of songs, it, it made for a richer yeah. uh, record and a richer experience for me in making it. Yeah. How, I'm, I'm just curious, but how, like, how long have you known Amy and how did you guys get, first get hooked up? Well, we, we've known each other for quite a while. Uh, we, I mean, obviously I knew who Amy was long before she knew who I was. Right. Cause I grew, I grew up with till Tuesday and, you know, and et cetera. Um, but I think it was around 2000, 2001 when, um, we were brought a little bit closer into each other's orbit because I, uh, I remember her, uh, somebody gave, uh, you know, it was all right. All right. Th- this is, this is the story. Um, <laughs> uh, Scott Miller, who's a songwriter who's no longer with us, but he was in the band's game theory and the loud family mm-hmm. in the eighties and nineties. Um, and he, he wrote a lot about music and he was a fan of mine, which was amazing to me because his eighties band game theory was huge for me. I was a really big fan of his mm-hmm. and, um, he, his band, his nineties band, the loud family was touring with Amy and he gave Amy, uh, one of my records, uh, from 2000, 2001, uh, to tyranny distance, um, mm-hmm. from that, sure. that time period. And, uh, and he wrote some about some of my songs on that. And, 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 uh, and he wrote me and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? The guy from the game theory, like, <laughs> I was like, you don't know, I understand what this means to me. <laughs> and, uh, um, but anyway, that, like that sort of brought us into, I think, um, uh, like an awareness of what, what we were, what we were both doing at that point in time. Yeah. Because, because I, I I wasn't 100 percent up on what Amy you know had been doing in in recent years and um, and then it was just a couple of years later we had both developed a lot of uh, friendships in the comedy world um, that became you know mutual friendships mm-hmm. and um, it was through that that we started actually seeing each other and appearing on the same shows and mm, um, right and uh, and then that eventually led to. Touring, which led to um, playing, you know, actually playing together, you know, during the touring, which led to writing together, yeah. etc. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really funny because the both, you guys are great together. And when, when you, you listen to you, and I've seen you guys perform, and it's, it feels like such a natural fit. But to put you guys separately, like if I were to have, if I didn't know that you had a band together... You know, mm-hmm. and if I were to listen to like Amy's body of work and then your body of work, I never would put the two of you together like, because you guys were so <laughs> different. But when you come together, you're just like, I don't know what it is, but there's something magical that happens. And you guys just yeah. seem to f- fit so perfectly. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate that. And I, I also I, I feel the same about when we come together. I would I would, I you know, people say this not infrequently, though, and I, I would I always push back on it a little bit because <laughs> You know, I think that, I mean, I have, I've always, um, in addition to swaths of, of noise and fury, like I have always dealt in melody and sure. contem- contemplation, you know, simultaneously. Yeah. And sometimes that comes out more than, than the other stuff. Um, and I think, you know, while I would hesitate to say like noise and fury, <laughs> particularly for, <laughs> For Amy, I think she gets a bad rap, you know, for being, 
entirely a, a soft, quiet, you know, yeah. mopey singer-songwriter. She's always also made some great rock songs. If you go back to the stuff that we were doing, that we were both doing, like, in the mid-90s, um, I mean, mine is much more amateurish and, like, literally coming from recording it in a basement. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, albums like Whatever and I'm mm-hmm. a Stupid of hers mm-hmm. ver- versus, like, the albums that my band Chisel was making at the time, I think there, there's actually a real similar songwriting sensibility that, that comes through. Um, yeah that you know would make sense especially looking backward yeah at this point yeah if you if you think about it you're right it makes sense but like on the surface <laughs> it's not something that you would have put together but right, right, um right. i i have i have to admit i love chisel um oh, thank you. this is this is probably going to date me but 8 a.m all day is one of those albums that i put on and i'm instantly back in high school like it's, <laughs> it's just every song on that record is just it transports me back um and I recently heard, I was listening to an interview, and I, for the life of me, as I was preparing for this, I could not find it again. But you uh, you had said something like you regretted the name of that band. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Why? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just like, you know, I don't know. It was kind of like mired in, um, it was, it, it's a little too mired in its era, you know, like when everything was like tools you know yeah <laughs> uh, a lot of one word band names you know surgery helmet yeah uh, yeah yeah chisel um and it and it i think it on first glance like set puts us in a context that we as a band were not actually as much a part of you know mm-hmm. i mean we were we were a i we i always consider us a punk band but we were like a mod pop yeah like a jam clash style you know undertone stiff little fingers the you know mod pop band yeah and um and i think that um i wish we'd have i i wish we'd have even like done something like the chisels you know <laughs> like just something that took it a little bit out of that 90s like er, yeah tough one word band name you know kind of <laughs> kind of context the chisels uh, that brings you back to the 50s though <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> um yeah you it's it's funny because you're you yourself use the term punk you know i mean like you're often you know you're referred to as a punk artist and the bands you've been with have been punk bands but i feel like so much of your music chisel included and now you know the the music that you're making now it has and this just might be revealing my general ignorance of of punk the the deeper roots of punk but it feels like you have like a musicality that that punk isn't usually equated with well, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I think you know. I mean, uh, that's the that's the trouble with trying to define something. Right. I, I think you. I think you're right to say it's not usually equated with. Yeah. Um. But um. But I also think it's unfair to say it's not. You know, it's not part of it, or is, or you know, right. is, is exists somewhere outside the realm of it. I mean. You know, the minute you start, the people start saying things like that, I start saying like, well, what are some of the iconic punk bands that you can think of? I mean, is The Clash one of them? Because The Clash, you know, are absolutely a band that stuck to no particular strictures about what it was they were doing and was incredibly melodic and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, adventurous in their songwriting. Like a lot of people would call television a punk band. Mm. You know, television went on long, noodly guitar explorations, you know, that, 
that don't sound anything like the Ramones, you know, yeah. for example. The Ramones themselves are a super melodic band. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I happen to be a fan of of brazen, furious noise. Like, some of my favorite bands of all time are not melodic, are mm -hmm. not, you know, really? are not subtle, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, are just really, like, blast beat, fuck you punk bands, yeah. you know. Um, but it's not necessarily the kind of music that I want to make. Like, what I, I like to sing, and I like mostly to, you know, I like melody and intricacies of, mm -hmm. of songwritings, but, uh, of songwriting, but I, I, you know, I think... To say that it's never existed in, in, in punk is, is actually in some ways to ignore some of, again, like some of punk's bi actually biggest bands. Sure, sure. Buzzcocks uh, would be another one that pops to mind immediately. Yeah. Hmm. Again, I mean, I'm not the world's biggest punk fan. So, I mean, I'm just, yeah. I'm showing, I'm saying, I'm readily admitting that's, you know, revealing my ignorance, but it's just. No, I, no, no. I, but I think, I think that what you're saying is, is, I don't, I mean, I, if it's ignorance, it's only ignorance in in, ha in like in having not thought about it to the extent that an idiot like me thinks about it, <laughs> thought about it, you know, like because I think that it is the I think that 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 very much is um, an accepted uh, line yeah. on what is punk and what is not punk, you know, um, yeah. you know, but but uh, I think the minute it literally just takes like a second of scratching the surface before yep. you're like, Oh, well actually yeah. there are all the exceptions to that, that rule right, that you right. just said. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, let's get nerdy for a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> so one of the absolute highlights, um, at the Joko cruise this year was your concert with Amy, the both after dark. Oh, um, thank you. But the highlight of that was the last <laughs> song you guys did the Shire with your, with your meltdown on stage. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I guess as a bit of backstory for those listening who weren't there, who didn't know, um, basically the entire concert was subtly leading up to this moment and they were, everybody was trolling you and, and trying to mix different, um, fandom Star Trek into Star Wars into, right. you know, Battlestar Galactica into, into everything. A Teletubby was brought up, brought on stage. Um, <laughs> Obviously, much of that was was set up because you guys all had the song to the other at the end. But how much was ad libbed? I'm, I just I have to know. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yes, the these the the general outline and the like a couple of you know like points that everybody was supposed to hit. Yeah, were established. Yeah. Um, beyond that, there was no exact dialogue, so most of it was ad libbed. And I'll also tell you this. Everybody who was trolling me on that stage, which is everybody else who was on that stage. That night, that's Amy. That's Paul and Storm. That's Jonathan. That's John Roderick. Um, they really went in hard in ways that I honestly did not think were going to get to me. And they actually got to me a little bit. So when it came time for me to blow my stack. Yeah. There was very little acting that I had to do there. <laughs> like, I was ready. I was really ready to blow. So Amy yeah. ribbing you as the corrector, that was was that was that part of the script or was that That was that, okay. yeah, that was that was yeah, our lead because we had to have some kind of like lead in right. to you know, like why this why this yeah. whole conflict is gonna exist. That's basically the nature of all of our variety shows, is like we establish some dumb conflict that yeah. generally centers around 
some misconception of something about me. Okay. That, that I then get upset about, and then it goes and goes and goes. Because you're a good sport that. about it, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, that, and also, I'm a good sport about the fact that Amy really enjoys <laughs> seeing me get mad. You know? so. I tell you, I was watching it, and everybody obviously was looked like they ha- were having a lot of fun, but none yeah. more so than Amy. Like, she, no, she was relishing that moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. This particular one, I have to admit, I was a little bit like, you're going to pay at some point. <laughs> um, but you're a big Tolkien fan. That's not a lie, right? That's not a lie. That's not a lie. Can you can you trace your Tolkien fan back? Like, do you know when it started, when you first read the book or heard it? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I think I was probably in sixth grade. Uh, and I remember... Now, as far as I know, I don't think that my my father ever actually read the mm-hmm. trilogy, but he had some old like early seventies, um, you know, three book like little box, right? Um, and I guess you know I'd probably seen the Bakshi movie okay. at that point, point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I actually really I was really a fan of of Ralph Bakshi's. Um, style mm-hmm. back then i wish that he could have completed you know his his version of it but um and so I, I think that having seen that and then like just kind of seeing this book i was like ah, you know that's the book of that yeah i should yeah. read that um and uh that was you know simultaneous with also like dungeons and dragons kind of first appearing in my my world mm-hmm. and uh other kinds of um you know, I was really into a lot of fantasy rock, like Rush and stuff, you know, back mm-hmm. then. And yeah. um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I remember reading it and I, I, I remember very vividly um, what still kind of remain my, my favorite chapters of the trilogy are, are the opening few, you know, until through the wilderness, you know, until the, until they get to Rivendell, because there's, it's, um, just such a, like, especially when they first leave, uh, Bag End and the, you know, begin their, their travels. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, the mood, like Tolkien really, um, evokes a mood and a vibe in that section of the book that, um, I don't know. It just always it just yeah. always um, resonated very deeply with me, and so you know, from there, I I devoured everything. You know, we in my family, I think at a certain point, I, I probably gave my parents a really easy out <laughs> with any any holiday or birthday. You know, because they were just like, "Oh, does he have this Tolkien thing yet?" Oh, <laughs> you were easy, right? <laughs> yeah, let's get him that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, I'd be like, "Ooh, great, thanks." You know, <laughs> learning Elvish. You know, and, uh, <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I mean, I read everything from that point, like at that age, um, up, up to, I probably stopped with the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, <laughs> at that point you're like, all right, I think I'm heading Yeah. <laughs> but then, uh, but then, you know, a number of years later, I, I, I think I, I think I reread the trilogy probably, I believe like when I was in high school mm-hmm. and then, um, and then, uh, bef- like right before they made the announcement of the Peter Jackson movies, I'd been well, not right before, a couple of years before, I guess. I- I'd been on a particularly long solo tour um, of the states, alone, 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 just me in a car, mm-hmm. um, and 
it was five or six weeks and everything that I'd brought with me to read, this is also like, you know, before widespread internet and mm-hmm. certainly before a lot of Wi-Fi. I'm not even entirely sure I had a cell phone though. I may have had my first like Nokia brick you know, kind of thing at that point. Right. Um, and, but I, I remember that the, the, the stack of books that I brought with me were all like very dry, you know, urban planning in Glasgow, 1971 <laughs> to 72. Why would you bring that? <laughs> because it's very interesting to me. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, uh, Russian constructivist architecture, you know, like, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it was the, a lot like really the, the other side of my, or an other side of my, my geekdom. Um, Fascinating. And, yeah. And it's not that I, it's not that I didn't enjoy having those books with me, but by the time I got back, yeah. I really was like, and also it was, it was a hard tour, you know, like I was, again, like I was alone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of small places, you know, a lot of downtime when you just sit around and on a bench somewhere in yeah. uh, normal Illinois and think about your life, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and when I got back, I really like, I, I remember this very vividly too. Like I really was like, I want someone to just tell me a story. I just <laughs> want a good story. And I was like, ah, you know what I need to, I need to read the trilogy again. Yeah. And, um, and I did. And it, it, at, you know, at that age, at this point in my life, I was probably 30 or something. Uh, and, um, it, uh, it just, it hit me in a totally different way than it had before. And I went and I, I did it again. Like I just devoured everything wow. this time, including the letters. You know? <laughs> and, um, and then I got online, I got involved with uh, the one ring.net, you know, which was a, a, uh, the community, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if it still exists. It's but, still but, around, yeah. Right. Yeah, and um, and uh, yeah, there you have it. And then the movies yeah. happened, and it was all in up in everybody's face a lot more. And yeah. so it's sort of never never disappeared uh, for me you know, since that yeah. time. Yeah. Well, I, I saw, um, I read on some random website, which means it must be true, um, <laughs> that you used to lead uh, chapter discussions uh, for on a Middle-Earth message board. Was that on the One Ring? It was the one we've done yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I did. I, I there was a uh, they had a thing going for a while, you know, where they were they would go through in order and have different contributors mm-hmm. lead chapter discussions on it. Yeah. So you mentioned your geekiness extends to um, urban planning, apparently, and architecture. Is it, it, it? What else do you geek out about aside from music and Tolkien? Uh, I go down a lot of different rabbit holes and 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 retain what I find at the bottom of them, you know, hopefully. <laughs> so I, you know, yeah, I, uh, for a while back then I was actually really big on, on, um, architecture and urban planning. Um, I haven't thought about that quite as much in recent times, <laughs> but, um, but it, you know, it still interests me. Uh, I, um, I'm very into, uh, history, philology, history of languages, mm-hmm. Um, I'm very into crypto history. Um, is, as those in... gaps, those gaps in the record, you know. Oh, and, okay. Uh, the the uh, the um, thoughts, you know, the potentials that that fill them. Um, the idea that uh, human history, uh, as documented, is only a uh, 
the, the, the tip of a mountain peaking above the, yeah. the ocean of history, you know, like there's, yeah. that there's a lot more underneath the waterline. Um, uh, I'm into to crosswords and cryptic crosswords pretty deeply. Um, I, I am now, now that I've been working on studio stuff for so long, I, I, I geek out a little bit about old mics. Hmm. yeah um that's awesome i i I just (laughs) i i I like to pry a little bit and see what else you know makes people tick um i i have to ask though uh not not to get political i guess but Mm -hmm. has the election our new political reality you know everything that we're all trying to live with and deal with has that been a boon to you creatively like if ever yeah. there were an outlet to rage against the stupidity of those that we have in power, it's going to be punk. But I mean, has has have you found that, or has it just been too depressing? Uh, you know, I'm going to try and give you a nuanced answer on that, <laughs> if I can, because um, and it, it will be as long-winded as everything else that I've said here today. <laughs> um, first of all, I, I you know I I roundly reject when people say to me. Um, you know, not going to need a record of yours right now. Cause that I understand. Like we yeah. all need art to, or, uh, well, I won't say we all, I need art to help me through right. tough times. You right. know? Um, what I hate is when people do that, like, well, going to be a good time for, you know, for, for punk rock going to be yeah. a good time for art. The, Aman- the Amanda Palmer least, position, right? At least, yeah. At least we're going to get that, uh, you know, Ted Leo record or whatever. And it's yeah. like, you know what? Uh, that is a totally shitty way to look at things. Like, yes, we all need it. Be thankful when you get it, but the circumstances that engender it are fucking terrible Mm -hmm. for some people out there who are legitimately suffering. And the fact that it's going to help me, like somebody's song about it is going to help me get through my day is great for me. But under no circumstances should I be wishing for that. You right. Know? Right. Um, you know, and then when it comes to the to the actual aspect of how it has affected me and my creativity, I mean, I've certainly written a number of songs since the election that, in in many ways, deal directly and indirectly with um, it and the ongoing you know climate that we're living in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has not been. A rage-filled, screamy, uh, punk way. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what I would address in that way about all this because, first of all, so much of it I've been addressing for so many years, yeah. and in a lot of ways, what we're seeing now is just a, a, a much more finely tuned. Well, <laughs> it's it's a much more finely tuned laser version of like reagan politics mm-hmm. while also a completely flailing around you know <laughs> flapping untuned unrefined you know um just flop of 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 the id you know of our flop of, our of national, the id i love it yeah, <laughs> national consciousness. either way it's it's something i barely even feel like i i want to address yeah. in in that in that kind of way i i sort of have to throw up my hands i can't i, I can't even tweet about things anymore <laughs> As ridiculous as that sounds, like I, I can barely form like 
a cogent original thought mm-hmm. that I think is going to add to the discourse. You know what yep. I mean? Like, it's just like, I'm either just stating the obvious or I'm just, just saying, blah. You yeah. Know? Um, but there are a lot of things that I have found to, to write about and, and they're of a more contemplative set. Um, and, I'm glad about that because mm-hmm. I also don't want to keep repeating myself. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I can challenge myself to look at what is in front of me and so hard to address in some ways and, and still hopefully find some ways to address it yeah. that will hopefully, you know, that will hopefully actually resonate with people who need these things to be addressed in yeah. the art that they consume. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm going to let you go. I have one last question for you. Um, I think everybody has something inside of them that they are afraid to do creatively. Mm. Um, You know, maybe it's starting that Kickstarter or maybe it's putting your art out there for public consumption because you're afraid of what the feedback might be. Um, Or they're just, they don't think that they can, or they're afraid that it might fail or that Mm. they're not going to get any support. Um, as somebody who's been through probably your own fair share of those anxieties and, and hurdles, what do you say to them? Like how, what advice would you have for somebody who is just sort of stymied and, and has something inside of them that they're, they're desperate to say, but they're just kind of too scared to say it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think that for one thing, there's no rule that there's no rule. That's first of all, I would say, take, take away the onus that you have to say it, you know, mm-hmm. there's no rule that says you have to, to, you know, that what you do can exist within a context that's comfortable for you. Um, that's number one. If, you know, having examined that you, you decide that you do want to take it outside of yourself. You want to take it outside of your bedroom, you know, metaphorically or, mm-hmm. or literally. Um, then I think, you know, it's very hard to inure yourself against criticism, but you have to remember that uh, (laughs) it's foolish to attempt to inure yourself against criticism that hasn't actually happened yet. Right. It's like, it's like getting mad at something, you know, I think probably we all do sometimes is like, you know, you have a little bit of like a bad feeling about a friend or something and you start getting mad about things that they're not even doing. Yeah, exactly. You're projecting, you know, and, um, and, uh, so, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, risk is not always rewarded in the most just way. And, uh, and our feelings can certainly get hurt, but there's something, you know, there's something that you can carry with you every day when you know that you have been brave enough to, to, to risk something. Yeah. And I, it's, it sounds platitudinous, but, um, having been in this position, you know, <laughs> off and on mm-hmm. all the time for the bulk of my life, you know, right now, um, uh, I can say that, you know, there, there are slings that I've never gotten over. There's praise that is almost too hard to accept. Um, but there, there is a small group of people whose opinions I greatly value and respect who 
can talk to me about what I do in ways that both help me get better at it and also make me feel good about having done it. And um, I think that if you don't risk putting something out, you might never even find those people, you yeah. know? Um, so I think it's, I think it's valuable if you decide that you really would like to get something out there in the world to just get it out, just get it out there and see what happens. And remember that like nothing is the last thing. Nothing has to be the last thing. There's, there's always a chance to do something else. Mm. Mm. That's great. Ted, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I got a message from my sister. She just had a kid. I had a ticket to Copenhagen to see how she did. My head could start on a Canadian. So fantastic interview once again, Jamie. You handled yourself accordingly. Hey, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> did you hear the news about a new Tolkien book coming out? There's always a new Tolkien book coming out, isn't there? I mean, he's just yeah. he left behind so many notes that they just yeah. been putting them together. Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, there was one they just announced the other day. I can't remember when it was, but they're, they have this book that he, that he finished and never got, it was, I think his first writings he ever did before Lord of the Rings. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm totally muddying the facts. I probably don't really know. <laughs> I read the press release quick, but. Yeah, I have not heard of a brand new one, but uh, yeah, it would not surprise me. I can't wait. I can't wait. I was big into punk rock when i was a teenager but not oh, yeah? not like not like heavy punk rock i was like mxpx i don't know if you know them i don't um that that type of blink 182 okay that type of stuff like pop punk pop punk yeah <laughs> and so i yeah i i kind of resonate we're gonna have to do something up with our sound effects i think coming in and out maybe some maybe some ramones or something i don't know <laughs> there you go do it do it <laughs> perfect well thank you everyone for coming back week after week if you don't come back week after week i say this every time but why aren't you doing it go hit subscribe and i'm going to badger you into following our podcast we have great interviews every single week um meandering interviews every single week <laughs> that's what the that's what the mo willems uh, well, I mean, to be fair, we are a little bit meandering, but I think yes. it's 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 good meandering. You know, it's not like no, exactly. super That's what targeted. Sarah said. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah, my wife, one hundred percent said that it was a compliment. Not no. Oh, I think so. I don't think that. I mean that that was Mo Willems' official Twitter handle. I don't think that they would have been you know nasty to us in their right. <laughs> in their tweet. I think <laughs> it was meant as a compliment, and I think uh, I. Yeah, no, I, I think I think we are. I, it's you know, I'll own up to it. We are a little bit meandering, but it's a, it's a good thing, I think. <laughs> Mo Willems tweets the worst podcast interview I've ever been part of. Go listen to this disaster. <laughs> that would be incredible. <laughs> All right, guys, if you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, we are at the GBV Podcast. I am Justin at 140 Justin C. And I am Jamie at the Roarbots. And we will see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care. From the bartender, this podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.